You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyTShirt.com. It's Tuesday. That means it's on the beat with Ross Martin and Greg Barnes. Make sure you rate us, review us, subscribe, do all that good stuff. It helps us out in the algorithms. Ross Martin, uh, we're talking offline press conferences on Monday with Mac and Longo and Jay Bateman, uh, I think we can hit on some high points. The high point offensively, I think, being the offensive line, you know, the, the guys get credit for skill plays, but the offensive line led the way, Ross. Yeah, I mean, I think that was a huge takeaway. I mean, obviously, Michael Carter and Javante Williams had incredible games, and they made players miss, but there were some huge holes at the line of scrimmage, and, and credit to the UNC offensive line. You're led by Brian Anderson and, and Joshua Zudu and, and the you know, tackles. I thought Jordan Tucker had a pretty good game as well. And, and really getting Joshua Zudu back, I thought kept people fresh. And that's what Mac Brown and Phil Longo talked about as well. Um, Zudu played right tackle. Uh, he played uh, right guard a lot. I, I'm not sure if he played any left tackle. Do you know? Do you remember Greg? Greg's not hearing me. <laughs> I don't recall. Um, yeah, actually, I think he played – sorry, he played left tackle. He did not play right tackle. Um, he played left guard. I got this mixed up there. But, I mean, Max always said that uh, Joshua Zudu is the best offensive lineman. So, I mean, now they kind of have that six to seven rotation in, and, and that paid off. And they wore Virginia Tech down because in the in the third and fourth quarters, really when they kicked in the running, and that's when the offensive line and that, and that endurance and having that rotation kind of paid off. So, I think it was a, a big point by the offensive line to kind of make that statement. Cause we, I don't know, I thought they were kind of average the first two games, but they kept saying pretty much upright and the offense clicked. And I know we've probably talked about it before on the, the inside kind of podcast the last two days, but I mean, kudos to that group and just how good this running back um, group is. It was pretty impressive. So we'll see what they can do against a really athletic and a really big, my hair's just some crazy stuff today. Really big um, Florida state front front seven. I mean, Phil Longo was going through their defensive front, and every guy on the defensive front is 290-plus. It was 6'7 defensive end. So it's going to be a test because you know, Florida State recruits well. So I'm not as high on UNC kind of just running through the Seminoles this weekend, but it should be interesting to follow. Greg, looking at the grades, I mean, Brian Anderson, ACC Player of the Week, explain to me the grades, the PFF grades then uh, that came down in your article on Monday. Well, and – I went back and looked just now as Ross was talking. Azudu played 17 snaps left tackle and then 44 at left guard. So there was some, some versatility there, uh, being able to kick out there and help uh, Austin Richards cover that left tackle spot. I mean, I've done the ACC voting a number of times over the years, um, and this is a very difficult thing. And so if you're not – keyed in to exactly what takes place and you're not watching every single game which is hard to do when you're covering the game um you look and say okay well clearly the biggest storyline on the ground game this week was michael carter and javante williams 
So it makes sense that one of the office of linemen has to be uh, in contention, right? And uh, from there, who knows? I mean, you know. Congratulations to Brian. How about that? I think the fact that consistently we've seen that Jordan Tucker and Marcus McKeithen this year have been the, the most consistently graded offensive linemen. Um, and then Joshua Zudu, dating back to last year, has probably been the best offensive lineman in this group. But I have no issues with Brian Anderson getting credit. Uh, everybody up front had a, had a good game. And so uh, share the wealth, Tommy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Anderson is, is a big-time leader for this team. If you've talked to this guy, I mean, he is a he, – he seems like he's very well-liked. He's well-spoken. Um, I think the players really like him. I think the running backs love him. So, I mean, I mean, we, not, we don't see how that really affects the team. But, I mean, following his recruitment, I mean, it's hard not to like Anderson. And you're going to have a three-time starter, I think, at center here for UNC. So, he's gotten better. He, he struggled last year. But, I mean, it, it definitely seems like he is – vastly improved you don't see those leaks in the middle like we saw uh in 2019 having McKeithen next to you certainly helps having a Zudu next to you certainly helps two big bodied guards and and next you're going to have uh, a three-time starter Brian Anderson at center and that uh experience and savvy knowing everything in the playbook as a, as a center is going to be key um looking ahead and we'll get better with time this year yeah, yeah. Tommy Mike Ingersoll touched on this last year some uh, we kind of dogged Brian a little bit early, and Ingersoll was like, "Look, you know, give the guy time. I mean, he's going to make mistakes, but uh, you know, if he hears too much of this, maybe it'll affect confidence." And I think what we've seen is that Brian has handled the adversity quite well, um, and he has to go back. And there's no doubt. Don't get me wrong. There's no doubt that he's playing significantly better than he did last year, and that's kind of the growth that Ross is talking about. Um, but there's, I think it's a, a good problem to have when you've got multiple guys that have good games against the you know, legitimate top 25 team like Virginia Tech. Well, one thing you could see being there, and we were seated behind Carolina's bench where normally um, our tickets are on the other side, is you could see that what Ross mentioned, the leader of the group. I mean, he clearly is the leader of the offensive line, and it shows on the sidelines, it shows, um, you know, pre-snap and all that. Like you said, Greg, share the wealth. Uh, the quarterback gets too much credit and too much blame. The center does too sometimes, so certainly 399 yards rushing, you get offensive player of the week. Uh, Ross, let's talk about the defense. Flip to Jay Bateman a little bit. Um, yeah, Mac always talks about how it's good to be able to correct after a win. Well, Jay Bateman got his wish there with a big win for Carolina, but wow, defense certainly struggled, especially after the first 10 minutes of the game. Did you watch his press commentary, Tommy? I did. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he was kind of just taking bullets, you know, the whole the whole <laughs> press conference, you know, a little – not defensive, but just like – I mean, there was no messing around. I mean, he kind of knows they got their butt whooped on the defensive side of the ball. Luckily, UNC won, but um, he wasn't making excuses. He knows they have to play better. Um, he was down probably his most important player in Ray Vohasek, uh, maybe the best cornerback that's arguable with, with Storm Duck. Michael did play. Storm Duck was out. Storm Duck is going to be out for multiple games, it seems. And uh, DeCorius Conley was also out. They didn't go with Walton Spotsville. They, they moved Trey Morrison down to nickel some. They were in nickel a little bit less. And then Cam Kelly and Patrice Renee got starters reps and starters minutes almost. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, listen to him, you know, not making excuses. He knows they have to play better. I mean, the defensive line, I think, got exposed at certain times. You just can't – they don't have the bodies there. He was kind of – you're asking players to play more reps than they're used to. He tried to get Miles Murphy in some. Zach Gill played a little bit, but they were relying on heavy doses of Tamari Fox and Jill Taylor. And, um, and then a lot of safeties had to come and make plays. And Cam Kelly got rocked a couple times. I thought Don Chapman looked great. Um, I think the PFF grades show that he was one of the better players in the field. Um, they took uh, Chad Stradlock out of the game, and I noticed that, and, and I think the grades noticed that as well. And um, Jay Bateman said they kind of schemed against Chaz Surratt and, like, really made sure that he was not loose on plays to make tackles. Now, as a focus, you, you didn't really see him and see his name mentioned much. But I thought uh, Gimmel had an okay game. Um, but it's definitely – they need to get healthy. And Behasic is key for this defense, for him to stay healthy. And Fox to stay healthy, too. I mean, he probably was very sore after that game. Yeah, they – Fox came out a couple of times. Tomon Fox came out. I think Asante came out, nicked up a few times. Um, but, Greg, talking about the depth there, I mean, we mentioned the offensive line, how important it was to get Azudu back. I think Behasic plays a similar role for – the defensive line, don't you think, in that when he's out, it causes everybody else to have to fill that gap, whereas when he's in there, he's going to take up two offensive linemen, let everybody else run free, including Chas Surratt, because like you mentioned, Ross, and I thought that was a great question to Bateman, they were able to send somebody to Surratt every play and keep him out of it, whereas Vahasek might prevent that. Greg, what you see from that defensive line specifically? Well, I mean, this is, this is more what I kind of expected from this UNC defense. Uh, I didn't expect them to get gashed quite like this, uh, but more in line this week than kind of what we saw the first two weeks. And that's a credit to Jay Bateman for getting them to play so well early. Uh, but we knew this team had significant issues up front. And uh, Tamari Fox has been a pleasant surprise. We knew they are going to have to rely on Ray Heisick and uh, Jalil Taylor quite a bit. And nothing has, has changed in that regard. Um, I think Miles Murphy has a lot of potential. No doubt they're, they're going to count on KBJ and, and Clyde Pender to provide a lot of help and some of the new guys coming in next year. And you'll see a steady increase of the young guys getting a lot of, a lot of snaps, not just this year, but in the years to come, um, to get this defense to where Mac wants it. But for now, you're, you're stuck with what you got. And uh, there, there's some, some talented guys there. Are they like Clemson-level talents? No, they're not. Uh, but you, they can win you games. And as we saw on Saturday, if you've got an offense clicking the way the Tar Heels did, you don't have to have a great defense. You just have to be solid. And as much as we want to bang on them, the two biggest drives of the game, in my opinion, were the first two. And that you force two, three and outs. All of a sudden, you're up 21 to zip, and you have a ton of wiggle room. You can afford to make mistakes, and they make plenty of them. Uh, but that's – when you, when you have a defense like this, where you don't have a great defensive front, you have to be able to pick your spots. You have to be able to get off the field occasionally so it's not a true track meet where everybody's scoring 60 points. North Carolina got off the field more often than Virginia Tech did, uh, and that's why North Carolina was able to win this game. And so I think moving forward, uh, it's, it's a health thing. You've got to have Ray back. And we know uh, there's a potential that he can't play this week. He may be able to play. They're going to have to wait and see exactly when, when he can get back to practice and how uh, productive he can be. Um, but you just got to lean heavy on the guys you've got. And, yes, they're going to be tired. Yes, they're going to be banged up. You just got to grind through. Um, and that's, you know, Tamari Fox, I think, is a good talent. 
Jaleel Taylor is, is, is a good player. Uh, they need more out of Zach Gill. And they need Miles Murphy to really come along. Mm-hmm. And if they can do that, uh, you, can, you, you can have success. But I think the fact that North Carolina beat Virginia Tech, which is probably the best team over the next six weeks, five weeks, uh, that gets you into a good spot because you don't have to have A-plus games defensively coming up as long as the offense performs. Now, you will when you get into uh, Notre Dame and Miami. You've, you've got to have great performances on both sides of the ball. Um, but the offense can really carry this team the next five weeks. Yeah, I think you're seeing – you know, you're seeing why this is not Clemson. UNC is not Clemson. They are years away from getting to that level. Um, you're seeing some recruiting mis, uh, missteps or just attrition because once Mahasek's out, I mean, you don't have much behind him and Tamari Fox. And usually with the elite teams, they bring in a, a, maybe a five-star redshirt sophomore who's ready to go, and that's who would have filled in for uh, Vohasek or you know, a stud, maybe a junior who just hasn't played much, and he's, he's going to be a player as a junior and senior. And UNC does not have that. There's a huge gap from the upperclassmen to kind of these young freshmen, the, the, the true freshmen who they expect to be good, just they're not ready. And that's just – not good recruiting on the defensive line. I know Tommy's boys in Johnson County all went to NC State. That that run of of uh, Aline McNeil and a couple other ones. Uh, Savion Jackson. Savion Jackson. There's when there a guy around Charlotte too who NC State got, and those guys would have been kind of. Yeah, they'd be in Carolina Blue without question. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we all know Tommy. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know that those guys would be the the sophomores and and uh, and juniors now, I guess, but. Uh, you know, that's what happens when you have a coaching change and when you don't when you hire certain coaches who don't want to recruit certain positions. You bring in a transfer. Ray Hayes is a transfer. They're lucky they have him. You know, who, there's no seniors other than like, Zach Hill's a junior. There's no seniors or really talented juniors uh, on defensive linemen-wise. I think Hayes is a junior. But, um, I mean, you're, you're seeing that gap in recruiting, and, and that's what elite teams do. They, they have players at each class who can fill in. And UNC's building that with the – this freshman class, the 2021 class as well, um, they should have that talent in two years. 2022 is kind of when that defensive line, I think, will start clicking. Yeah, to Ross's point, Tommy, we're talking about a guy who is a JUCO, as Ross said, who couldn't lift upper body weights for two years <laughs> because of injury and until, I guess, last year. And he's your stud. I mean – Kudos to, to Ray for bouncing back and battling through. That's an incredible story. Uh, but when you're, you're having to rely on somebody in that position to be your force up front, I mean, that speaks to those recruiting issues. I mean, oftentimes those JUCO transfers do not work out. So UNC is lucky academically and, and with the injuries and that he performs and is in school and things align for him to be there. I and mean, hopefully he's back this weekend. Yeah, Carolina definitely needs him. And you're right, kudos to him for putting it all together and becoming a, a fairly big-time player for Carolina. Greg, let me talk about defensive backfield just a little bit. Something that is concerning to me, and it's related to this um, discussion here and also to the linebacker discussion, is you don't want your safeties leading the team in tackles, especially against a team like Virginia Tech. and Florida Dexter State. Reed! Yeah, yeah, Dexter Reed on the wall down there. He had like 700 tackles for Carolina. <laughs> Trey Boston, when Trey Boston lead, lead yeah, the tackles. Right, yeah. But, uh, you know, that also speaks to not only defensive line. It starts there, but Gimmel and Surratt were relatively quiet. Um, 
but I thought Morrison and, you know, Ross is down on Cam Kelly. I thought he played well accordingly, but I thought Patricia Ney looked pretty good, especially compared to how he looked the first two games of the season. Yeah, I agree. And I really think it's a situation. I mean, I don't think we give Storm Duck enough credit. Um, he graded out as one of the top cornerbacks in the ACC last year as a true freshman. His numbers were up there again this year before getting hurt. Um, and so that's, that's a big loss. And Patrice Rene, uh, you know, I, I think it was interesting. There was a lot of talk before last year that, hey, maybe he can get to like an all-ACC type player. And that's still you know, possible, but he hadn't really played up to that juncture you know, at the time before the last season. And I think it kind of spiraled out of control. The hype said, oh, yeah, well, this is clearly an all-ACC guy. We haven't really seen it on the field. He's just played a lot of games. Uh, but he hadn't played in a year. And then you talk about Kyler McMichael. Yeah, very talented kid. Uh, you, Clemson warded him, which says a lot. But, I mean, he's really playing like his third game at, at cornerback. Cam Kelly, I mean, what did we talk about in the offseason? He, he played one game against Clemson last year and got hurt. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's just now coming back from injury. Um, and so a lot of these guys they're relying on in the defensive backfield are inexperienced. And so that's why you see a guy – I mean, even Don Chapman, he started the second half of the season last year, but he's still relatively young. And Trey Morrison's really your stalwart back there. Um, that's why they lean on him the way that they do. That's why losing Miles Wolfett was such a big loss because he'd played a lot of games and he was a veteran uh, presence back there. And that's, that's very key to have. And so when you lose a guy like Rava Hasek up front and that defensive front is all of a sudden not a strength anymore – and the offensive line is able to get to the second level. And then that opens up the passing game for Virginia Tech. Uh, guys are having to defend for long periods of time back there, and it's, it's very tough. So I think that was a game that was a, a great learning experience for them. I think all those guys will continue to get better as the season goes along, uh, specifically with Kelly and Renee as they get healthier. Um, but they, I thought they showed some bright spots, got a lot to work on. But it's kind of a domino effect. You know, a lot of inexperience back there. When you add in the issues up front, uh, it's kind of hard to, to cover up some of those issues. And, and look, with Cam Kelly, I mean, he missed a lot of tackles. That's clear. But he was in on them, I guess. And he showed enthusiasm. He played with a lot of passion, you could tell. Um, kind of like the hype guy uh, that we've seen in former UNC DBs. Um, but, I mean, tackling Khalil Herbert was is not easy. And, I mean, he – if you're not a big safety, I mean, he, he ran right over you. You saw that a couple times. Um, and like, like Greg said, yeah, I mean, Cam Kelly, you got to adjust to the speed of the game. I mean, if you haven't played in a year or so, that's going to be a huge adjustment, just not knowing the, the proper angles, how quick things move, you know, how much, you know, all, all the nuances to the game. And that's what I think you saw out of Cam Kelly. Um, but yeah, I, I did think Patrice Renee played pretty well. And, Kyler Michael, I mean, I don't think I heard his name once, which usually is a good thing for a cornerback, and he occasionally comes and helps in on certain run fits and things like that as well. So that seems like a good get for UNC to secure that Clemson transfer. I mean, I don't know how I don't know how good he really is, but I mean, this is his third year in college, so I wonder if if the NFL or something like that is on his radar as well. Yeah, and Tommy, the, the secondary missed nine tackles. Mm. That's that a lot. It. That's touchdowns. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you could see it. I mean. Khalil Herbert got in the, in the, into that secondary, it seemed, every other play. Yep. Yeah, they uh, – yeah, that's, that's I, I do think there was a big difference in the defensive performance in the second half. They just looked worn down. Yeah. Um, and that's when Herbert really had a lot of his success. Yeah, and Bateman, Bateman said that's just an excuse, but those guys were 
dead tired yeah, they were and uh that's the depth uh, and that's yeah you know, that's, that's credit to virginia tech for being physical and, and playing that run with that big running back which is why the drops that we're not going to talk about because we've covered it the drops and the lulls in the offense when it could have been a bigger lead in the first half made such a big difference allowed virginia tech to keep their game plan because Carolina goes up 28 or 35 to 7. I'm not sure Virginia Tech can do what they did. Anyway, interesting stuff. Interesting stuff to hear about the onside kick and all that. We won't go over it. We've been over it on these podcasts, but some interesting things come out of Virginia Tech. Going to take a break, talk about Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com. They're our sponsors. They're your best place to get Carolina gear. Uh, Go online, shop anything you need, tailgate-related, homegate-related, Christmas, like Ross always talks about, Christmas is coming up. Get your orders in. Get your 10% off your order if you're a North Carolina, inside Carolina, premium subscriber. And, of course, go see them when you're in town for the NC State game or beyond in Chapel Hill. Take another break. National Guys with Pay Some Bills. We'll be right back on the Beat Podcast. I want to talk about some of these rankings. Greg Barnes, Ross Martin. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Be back in a second. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, we're back on the beat podcast. Ross Martin, Greg Barnes. I'm Tommy Ashley. Greg, I'm going to come to you on this now. It's one of those things, Greg, uh, excuse me, Buck would always reference these uh, ESPN power rankings when he talks about his preseason predictions. And that's sort of um, how he made his predictions, looking at them and all. And then we see the actual polls and all this. Tell me this. A, it doesn't matter. Let's put that out of the way. It doesn't matter until the the big rankings come out. But what makes the difference, and it's specifically the computer polls that we see, whether it's SP Plus or FPI? Well, one that I've always followed is Brian Fremo's uh, rankings. I'm trying to think exactly what those are. BCFtoys.com, I believe. Um, But he used to be on Football Outsiders with Bill Connolly who does S&P. And thinking about Brian's rankings is that he wouldn't even put them up until like six or seven weeks in the season. And the reason by being is like, he's like, look, you know, this is based on per drive data. And if you're playing one game, I mean, I mean, I could post the numbers, but 
it's kind of like Ken Palm, right? Ken Palm for basketball, if you look at it in December, it's not going to give you an accurate picture. You need a lot of data to support that. Now, FBI, I know a lot of people are getting fired up about FBI because North Carolina, I think right now is number 26. Well, let's flesh that out. What does that mean? Um, for one, we had a conversation last week. How good is North Carolina? Are they, are they the fifth best team in the country? Who knows, right? I mean, sure. I mean, I don't have an issue with them being ranked number five. I'm not in a position to say, well, clearly they're the fifth best team. Uh, but what FBI tries to do, and they're pretty open with this, it's not a ranking of one through 128. They're not trying to accomplish that goal. What they're trying to do is provide comparative analysis so that when you sit down and say, okay, well, Clemson and North Carolina are going to play in the ACC championship game. Uh, we think Clemson wins by this amount. So it's basically like a betting tool. It's probably the easier way to look at it as opposed to ranking. Uh, now, why is North Carolina number 26 right now? Well, when you look at the rankings, who's number one? So Ohio State, who has not played a game yet. And that kind of gives you a hint. What FPI does is it says, okay, in the preseason, we have to wait on what happens last year. Not only last year, we have to wait on recruiting rankings. And so what FPI does is all their preseason rankings, they say, okay, what's happened last four years recruiting-wise? What has happened on the football field the last four years? And you build all this data up to see exactly who they have coming back, how many returning starters, how many – on offense, how many on defense, how many on special teams? Do they have a legitimate quarterback coming back? All this data is folded in. And so once the season kicks off, you don't automatically wipe that slate clean because the team has played one game. Each week, you remove the significance of that data as you gain more data. And so even at the end of the year, even when we're in December, there's still some of that preseason data in play. And that's how the FBI is set up. It's to say, okay, look, this season clearly matters the most, but we're also basing this off past tendencies. And so for North Carolina, you're factoring in a seven and six year last year, right? But you're also factoring in five wins in 2017, 2018. And so that's going to drag North Carolina down. That's not a reflection on what they think of UNC right now in 2020. It's a reflection of how they're seeing UNC over their last, I don't know, say 40 games. And as we get further along in the season, you will see if North Carolina continues to win, they will gradually shoot up the rankings. And one way that you know that is if you look at strength of record right now, which is really a key component, they're fifth. Um, and then when you look at, what's this number over here? Uh, game control in terms of how well does a team control a game that they play in? Were they in the lead the entire time? Was there any really concern that they would win? UNC sixth. Okay, that's a more accurate representation of probably where UNC is with 2020. And as the year goes along, as I said, if they continue to win, that FPI ranking will, will jump up quite significantly. I wish I was as passionate about anything in life as Greg is about the FPI. Look, Ross, something you <laughs> You need to go back and listen to the, uh, the <laughs> day after podcast and listen to Jason Staples. Jeez, yeah. Wide receiver talk. I know you love that stuff. Yeah, I actually do listen to y'all's uh, game plan. I've been listening to those on Monday, on Saturday mornings. But, yeah, I got to take Jason in uh, bits and pieces, I'll tell you that. <laughs> what do you think well, about the rankings then, Ross? I mean, AP, number five, that's all. That's the only thing I look at is the AP ranking. I don't think Ohio State should be ranked. I don't think any team that hasn't played a game should be ranked. That's, that's my opinion. But, I mean, is UNC at the top five 
top five team? Probably not. But uh, they've done enough to earn that ranking. But, I mean, at the end of the season, I mean, look, they're probably going to stay in the top ten if they keep winning, you know. So, hey, we'll take it, man. It does It does, helps our business. The freaking top five article did crazy traffic. So, I'll take it. And, see, Tommy, that's, that's what this comes down to. A lot of people complain about preseason rankings, and they complain about the media's preseason OACC teams and predicted order of finish well guess what they beg us to vote in those polls it's not like we're saying hey we want to vote on this stuff and it's because of what raw says it's because in the dead of july when nobody's paying attention to anything it gets everything revved up and it gets people talking about football that's all the polls are for that is it and people people are susceptible to it because they're, they're passionate and that's a good thing uh, but that is a media-driven thing. That's, that's it. And so when it really matters is when you have the CFP poll, like Max said, he didn't even pay attention to the rankings until you get to that. And I don't even know when that comes out this well, year. I've noticed Mac mentions the rankings a lot, more so than, than most coaches. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think he's good for, good for recruiting, he said today. Yep. You know, happy to be there, wants to stay in the neighborhood, wants to buy a house in that neighborhood. Right. I mean, I think, yeah, for perception, for, for looks, you know, you put out the fancy graphics, it's – Helps everybody when UNC is in the top five, top ten. Yep, but sure. yeah, and 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 then how good this team is, it doesn't really matter at this point. Greg, looking ahead, um, way ahead, before you know, it's Tuesday. We'll talk uh, Thursday afternoon about Florida State more in depth with our resident Florida State expert, Jason Staples. But uh, I mean, is Carolina in a good place going down there? I think the offense uh, offense is clicking, seems to be, but the the defense, is that a cause for concern, you think? Um, or is Virginia Tech – I mean, Virginia Tech's good, and they do what they do. Um, so where would you rank that – talking about rankings, where's that scale of comfort, comfortableness <laughs> on the defensive side of the ball for Carolina and Jay Bateman? Well, I mean, I think the fact that you know, Jordan Travis is kind of a guy that has looked pretty good thus far. Um, they're kind of playing musical chairs with the quarterbacks. The offense has been a mess. And one thing that Jason will reiterate on Thursday is the fact that the offensive line's really been a crapshoot, not just this year, but in recent years. And that, that's going to be a, a building project for, for Mike Norvell. Um, and Florida State's defense is, is okay. So you're going on the road. You know, you know, I don't know how many they're going to have in attendance, but you assume there'll be a good number in Florida. Uh, so hostile environment. Uh, relatively for 2020 and a team trying to figure things out who as, as Ross said I mean they have talent that's never been the issue it's, it's the coaching component and so do they have I mean, they, they look pretty good against Notre Dame and I think Notre Dame's a really good team um, and so I, I don't think that North Carolina is going to walk in there and just blow thing blow you know, the Seminoles out um, and so yeah you need to see a better defensive performance does North Carolina have to play their a game to win Saturday probably not um, but you can't have a defensive performance like you did Saturday and expect to win without the offensive performance that you saw on Saturday. And so it's, it's really kind of elevating the defense so that the offense doesn't have to click on all cylinders. Florida State's letting in 20 to 25% of potential capacity within the stadium. Okay. Um, so that's a significant number of people, a big stadium. Did you hear what Dan Mullen said after the game, Florida coach, after the game mm-hmm. on Saturday? 
I did. He said he wants the full stadium because Texas A&M's was close to packed. He said, he, Texas A&M, he said Texas A&M fans made a difference in the game. They're yelling behind their bench and everything. So he wants 90,000 in Florida Stadium this weekend. And obviously Florida State, same state, but it sounds like the Seminoles are letting in 20, 25%. But uh, Florida Norvell – 90 for nothing. Norvell says, obviously, I'd love to see as many fans as we can that are allowed in. That's the, that'd be the desire for any coach right now. I don't want to say in it, so I'm just going to keep coaching. It'll be interesting. One thing, I don't know how much you guys can hear in the press box, um, but in Keenan Stadium, the piped-in noise, I couldn't figure out why they were playing the piped-in noise when Carolina had the ball in the stadium. Is that a TV thing, maybe? I don't know. Well, then I listened to it on TV, and it just sounds like a, a – a drone, a background drone. Then I thought maybe Carolina's offense wants some of that noise. It was very weird. I was going to ask you, Tommy, like how was it? I mean, how was the vibe in the stadium from all angles? I mean, it was like a spring game, Mm -hmm. to be honest. It was easy in, easy out, bell tower parking, walked in, no wait. You know, concession stands, no wait. Uh, The only thing that was weird to me, um, and of course the 3,500 people is a weird number, but there were two seats per row two occupied seats per row where we were. I said, it looked the same across the way. There was nobody in the opposite you guys in the visitor side upper deck. And there were, appeared to be some in the upper deck behind us, but two seats per row, you know, so it's kind of wide open. You could do whatever you wanted and they allowed umbrellas. So the rain crowd was happy at least early, even though it turned out to be a beautiful. You bring your son or wife or what? I brought my oldest. Yeah, and he was pumped. He was he was good. And one thing, and I mentioned it, we, we sat behind the Carolina bench. And I did want to ask you all about this, getting back to the game. It looked like a fire drill, right much, Greg, when they were trying to get guys on and off the field. And that's why I was hoping somebody would ask Jay Bateman in the press conference on Monday is, we, Ross, we talked about the substitutions and all that last week, and that was a big part of the article you wrote, but Greg, at times, they look like nobody knew who was supposed to be out there. The two-point conversion, which I've never seen overturned as they're about to kick the ball off on the next play. But what's going on there, Greg? I mean, yeah, that was a mess at times. Yeah, good question. This is the matter of trying to get, trying to get the right pieces in. And I think one of the challenges is uh, when you've got really talented guys that can be versatile and play different positions – you don't have to be as precise in your packages. Um, and so you've got guys really limited to define roles. And so if you're going to run this particular play, uh, you've got to have that guy on the field for that job. Uh, and we hadn't really gotten into it with Jay about that, but I think that's, that's probably a lot of it is just the, the matter of trying to, to get all these pieces to fit when you don't have the ideal fit. I mean, right. I mean, if, um, if, if you've got a running back that can pass block, can catch out of the backfield, and can run, well, you can put him in pretty much all the time, right? But if he's not a good pass blocker and he can't catch, all he can do is run, you've got to be very selective with how you use him. And I, I think that's really what we've seen with some of those issues on defense. Greg's, Greg's frozen on the video. We've gone to God, Godzilla, um, <laughs> Godzilla movie. Audio is good, though. Um, they got two times they had 12 uh, – it twelve in on the field, right? Is yeah, they right? had it. They they had it one more time, and I don't think they called it. But they had it on the two point conversion. They had twelve on the field, and then they uh, they overturned that, and then they couldn't figure out who was going out there. It's just a mess, I guess. I guess you got to figure out the matchups, but it, it looked awfully hectic. 
uh, more so than I'm used to seeing. Of course, I don't sit behind the Carolina bench normally. Anyway, since Greg Barnes has dropped Ross Martin, we <laughs> will you, uh, baby. we will finish it out. Greg, Greg went into the ether. Um, Ross, what's on tap for your coverage this week? I, like I said, I thought the uh, substitution articles and things like that last week were fantastic. What's up this week? Thank you. Yeah, if you didn't get a chance to read that rotation piece, I dropped it on Friday, so it might have kind of fallen in, in the cracks there. But I thought it was pretty good looking at how and why UNC rotates certain players in, trying to build depth and trying to get young players reps while still trying to win. Um, so check that out. You can probably find it somewhere on the boards. Um, and then this week we're doing something off the line, I believe. Hopefully we talk to Joshua Zudu tomorrow, uh, Tuesday. I'm doing the coordinator report shortly after this, get all the quotes up and some of the key parts from Jay Bateman and Phil Longo's time. Um, we have players tomorrow, see what they say. Mac Brown on Wednesday, I'll get 10 things up uh, from Mac Brown. And, um, yeah, I mean, it depends on what kind of news we get. I mean, what, what, what kind of – kind of storylines you think are, are coming in this week i think the offensive line is definitely a story of note um running backs are kind of already covered yeah. and maybe some depth depth and the how exposed the defense got is, is another storyline i think uh, an interesting part of longo's was him taking blame i guess for not having daz involved because you see when yeah. newsom's involved it's completely different offense i mean diami gets deep gets open deep because Daz is is involved mm-hmm. early. So I think that's a good line to take. Hey. Um, I, you yeah, know, well, go, ahead. go ahead. They also mentioned, he also mentioned trying to get Gary Walson more involved. I mean, he has two yep. catches in three games and, you know, he was a big name in the preseason. He, I mean, they're just not looking for him. He's, he's, he's mostly in there as a pass, pass blocker and run blocker. But I mean, he, he is a pass catching tight end. That's how he was recruited. And he hasn't really been a factor in terms of the passing game. And that would open things up too. If you have a big target across the middle, in the short routes, you would get more stuff going deep as well, you would think, if, if that becomes kind of a, uh, an option. Yeah, and I think Azudu being back and that offensive line getting some consistency can allow him to get out on routes rather than having to stay in and block. But you're right. he They've got to utilize those guys underneath. And, and Boston College shows what a big-time tight end can do for Yeah. Them. Well, and you, you're reading Don's articles throughout the last couple of weeks about recruiting Bryson Nesbitt. And Max said he called him and told him about Garrett's touchdown uh, in the first game. And, you know, it was, it was, you know, the first play, first touchdown, and since then, one catch. Yeah. So, if they want to recruit big-time tight ends, they're going to have to pass to the big-time tight ends. And you, you saw Tim Bruce relieve as well because of how long ago utilized the tight end. So, I mean, I mean, is it part of the offense? Is it not? I mean, sometimes you got to kind of show it if you want to talk about it. Yep, might be a chicken or egg type thing. Who knows? They'll, they'll have some opportunities, I mean, because I don't think Florida State's going to be very disciplined on defense. I think they can take advantage of some of those guys. Uh, we'll see, though. You know, it's a, it's watching the press conferences, and I will um, tell our listeners and our watchers, if you're watching this on YouTube, you need to click over and watch Mac Brown and Longo and Bateman, their weekly press conferences. They didn't seem very pleased. Even Longo did not seem overly pleased about the performance. I guess, I mean, am I misreading that, Ross? It, it yeah, just I like, mean, Longo kind of – you can't get much emotion out of him either way. I think he holds his offense to a pretty high standard. But, I mean, Mac was very happy with Sam Howe, mm-hmm. with 18 for 23, 80%, you know, dishing it out, kind of like a point guard and, and letting the running backs run. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how much better the offense could run, but definitely on defense. I mean, 
saw what you saw. I mean, they ran all over UNC and, and kept scoring throughout the game, and, and UNC let them back in. So that's, that's, not, that's never a positive when you kind of have a team by the neck and then they come back. And I was pretty nervous heading into that you know, third, fourth quarter. Yeah, but once it got down to five, somebody texted me and said, we'll find out what they're made of right now. And they showed up. They stepped up. But you're right. They've got to get some turnovers. Um, Onside's kick was not – I mean, they missed that. Mac mentioned that as well. I mean, that's a mental error, not being ready for that. Yeah, that reminded me – I don't know if you watch pro football, but I think it was the Falcons just standing around waiting for somebody else to grab the ball. That's what that one looked like. I don't know. they got a lot to work on, but it's always good to do it when you're up when you're three and oh so going to florida state on saturday night it it should be another tale i mean winning on the road at florida state's a big deal no matter how good or bad the seminoles are so we'll talk about it a plenty i guess i'm gonna wrap it right now ross martin and that was greg barnes uh if you have the mental image of greg frozen on your screen uh he'll be back with me on the game plan podcast late thursday night but ross i appreciate you taking the time to join me today for sure see you tommy Yep, you've been listening to Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Rate us, review us, subscribe. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by johnnytshirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. What'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.